You are listening to a podcast from The National. We have a very exciting interview coming up with the CEO of Italian lender Unicredit. Later on, we'll also be talking to a leadership coach about why it's important for companies in the Arab world to begin thinking about developing their own talent and executives in this way. I'm Mustafa Al-Rawi. This is the Business Extra podcast. This week, we're talking about Europe, the outlook for the economy, the banking sector, Italy, as well as trade links between the UAE and Gulf and wider regions around the world. I caught up with Jean-Pierre Mustier, the CEO of Italian lender Unicredit, when he was in the capital to officially open their investment banking and corporate branch on Abu Dhabi Global Market. Now, I had initially spoken to him six months ago when they were in the middle of their 13 billion euro capital raising, which is very important, particularly given one of their major investors is based here in Abu Dhabi. Now, that went successfully, and then they went on to record two fantastic quarters. So when I caught up with Jean-Pierre, he was very happy. The last time we spoke was around six months ago before the uh, 13 billion euro capital raising closed. You must be very happy with how things have gone since then. Well, first of all, I'm very happy to be in Abu Dhabi and uh, meet and discuss with you today. Indeed, uh, as you uh, pointed out, uh, Unicredit went through a very intense uh, past uh, six months with the successful completion of our capital increase of 13 billion and disposal of an additional 7 billion of various assets. So we raised a total of 20 billion of capital, which makes us today one of the best capitalized banks in Europe. The first half of the year, the financial performance was also very strong, better than analysts expected, better than you expected, or was it, did, you, did you know that it would be like that? Well, you know, we have a three-year plan, so two quarters out of the three-year plan is only seven kilometers in a marathon. So I think we need to be very focused on the delivery of what we do. We had two good quarters, but we need to keep working hard. Uh, taking a step back, uh, the European economic outlook has improved somewhat in 2017 compared to where we were before. I mean, to what extent has that helped you in, in various markets? I think your somewhat is a little bit understated for continental Europe. We have seen in Europe broadly in continental Europe very good growth, starting with export, then consumer, and now fixed investment. And it's widespread among uh, all European countries, including Italy, which is performing extremely well. Clearly, a good economic environment is supportive, and uh, we have all the reason to believe that this will continue in the near future, as we have both a combination of a very good economic environment and strong political will to make Europe move forward. This Thursday, Mario Draghi is going to be uh, speaking about QE and the ECB's policy going forward. No one expects any surprises. They expect it to be a slow tapering over time, not to rock the boat. Is that your view? And, And how important will it be that he remains consistent as he has done so far? Well, let me first say that Also, we are not supposed to speak about our regulators and monetary policy, but I think the ECB has been doing an excellent job to support the European economy. We expect that rates in Europe will remain lower for longer, probably up to mid-2019, which is good in order to support the economy, which is already doing very well. And as a bank, uh, you say you've got a you've got a long plan strategy you're only in a small part of the overall race that we're talking about um what excites you most so far and 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 what actually has surprised you uh as far as the plan goes uh 
What is extremely important is that Unicredit today is seen by all our clients as a key bank for them in order to help them grow. In all our geographies, we are present in 14 countries, and in all our geographies, our clients see us as the bank to go to. And clearly, with the development of our presence in Abu Dhabi, they will even see us more as the bank to go to as we are opening uh, the uh, Middle East, uh, Africa, to them as our presence here in Abu Dhabi global market will be our hub for the region. We did talk about that six months ago when you were, when you were here in Abu Dhabi last and, and we managed to, to talk about the bank and, and, and how things were going and how important opening a branch in Abu Dhabi would be in terms of not just business and servicing your clients on the ground, but also as a statement for how you see the region. Um, in, in the last six months with Saudi opening up, much more with its Vision 2030 and oil prices stabilizing somewhat, is the, is the outlook even better now for, for your presence here in the region? I think we have a long-term strategy. So, you know, the decision to open up here you know, was made before and specifically because our, one of our largest shareholders uh, is, uh, you know, from Abu Dhabi. It's uh, uh, very important for us to support Abar and Mubadala in, in our development. But as you pointed out, the environment is even more favorable now that it was six months ago, which is uh, an additional reason to be very optimistic about the development we could have in the region following our clients who are extremely motivated to grow more. And the kind of conversations that you expect to be having with your clients in terms of the Middle East, and, and I, w- I want to talk a little bit about Europe and some of your other markets there, but the Middle East is quite new for Unicredit in terms of growing it. I know you've had a presence for a while in terms of the, the kind of it's helping Italian businesses and other companies. Um, but do you expect that you know five years from now, 10 years from now, that this will be a significant market in terms of share? We, we've been present here in Abu Dhabi with a rep office since 2001. So the opening of our branch is a formalization of what we do here. And we, we see very good development uh, in the region of the GCC. And it's uh, not only from flows of European clients into the GCC, but it's also interest of GCC companies into Europe and into our network. So, you know, today the GCC represents uh, the fifth uh, largest uh, trade partner for Europe. That's uh, extremely important, 6% of uh, all exchange. So there is a very, very good reason and tangible reason to be present here. Uh, the Middle East has got a reputation amongst some people as being not stable. But, I mean, within it, there are markets that are actually quite stable. The UAE, for example, is very, very stable. And, and conversely, in Europe, we've had a little bit of upheaval, a little bit of political instability. Um, Austria is a big market for Unicredit with the recent election uh, result in the last week. Um, and there's been that kind of playing out. You talk about Spain and what's going on there. And there's a little bit more uncertainty now in, in the more, if you like, traditionally certain markets. So is it a case that the risk gap is closing between regions that might have been considered more risky in the past and those that might have been considered less risky? It is very important for us to have a long-term vision, which we do in terms of development of the bank as a simple pan-European commercial bank, which gives access to our clients, to all our network with a plug-in corporate investment bank. So within this region, we tend not to look at short-term uncertainties, which could happen. And history has shown that too much focus on these short-term uncertainties is actually wrong. We know Europe is a strong uh, area in terms of development for the future. and we believe that the GCC is as well a very strong area in terms of development. So having a long-term view helps actually develop the proper strategy. So, for example, in Germany, when we had the, I mean, although Angela Merkel 
continued on running running the country. Um, it was made clear that the, the people weren't necessarily happy with with her, and it, it could open the the door to a kind of different kind of politics in in Germany, which again has been historically quite a stable country. Um, and and I appreciate what you're saying in terms of don't worry too much about the short term because the long term fundamentals are there. But isn't it a bit uncertain in terms of demographics? We had demographics the last couple of decades have all been about immigration, right? And people moving around the EU. And that seems to be less certain. So when you're confident about a big market like Europe, is it is it technology? Is it education? I mean, what are, what are the kind of things that, that make you see growth going forward? I think, first of all, on the political side, we see today in Europe, between Germany, between France, and actually soon uh, Italy, a willingness in continental Europe to go for more Europe. And that's extremely positive, because it's uh, the only way forward in order to make sure that our markets are more integrated and are a single market per se, in terms of trade flows and development for companies and for individuals. We can see a lot of competitive advantage for Europe in terms of technology, in terms of attraction, Uh, of the various countries, um, in terms of the various subsectors, in terms of education, in terms of health, in terms of transport. So one can be extremely positive uh, about Europe. And uh, we should uh, make sure that when we look at uh, Europe today, and if we compare Europe to other geographic zones, Europe appears as a haven of political stability and a, a very strong magnet. And beyond Europe, beyond the Middle East, uh, how much interest is there in growing your businesses in areas like China and other parts of Asia as well at the moment? We focused on our geographies. That's extremely important for us because this is where we deliver our competitive advantage and where we develop in specific regions like uh, in the GCC. Our strategy is to follow the trade flows, bring European clients to the GCC or GCC clients to Europe. That's our focus and that's what we do, for instance, in China. We don't do in China local business development, but just follow the trade flows between Europe and China. So I guess you, you would go with the, the growth of the business of your clients. If more and more your clients are trading with China and vice versa, then naturally your business would follow on from that. So it's, it's, it's a kind of reactive, but then you, leveraging those opportunities. At Unicredit, we have 25 million clients, which makes us one of the largest banks in terms of number of clients in Europe. And clearly, we define ourselves through our clients. So I wouldn't call us reactive. I would call us proactive and anticipating, but not too, too much uh, our client needs. Clearly, GCC is an important region for us in order to grow. And we know that our clients are willing to develop more here. You know, China represents as well interest rate flows, and we do the same. Today, uh, while we're talking here in Abu Dhabi, there's uh, a couple of conferences going on. One of them is about fintech, and it'd be interesting to get your point of view on, on technology, on, on where you see that going. In, in recent weeks, recent months even, it's proven not just to be an opportunity, but also potentially a threat with cyber criminals about uh, the threat of hacking for not just a, a financial institution, but any global company is potentially a, a target now. How do you manage the balance between the new technologies like fintech whether they're financial technologies or cryptocurrencies, and then the need to, to understand that with that comes higher risk too. I think fintech or the development of technology is extremely important. 
we see that as an opportunity, as fintechs can have very good ideas that we can either use and we use them as integrator, or we can copy. There's no patent in a financial market. So, you know, fintech help us in order to grow and uh, develop our activity and deliver a better service to our client. It's fair to say that, you know, with technology developing, there are risks which are related, cyber risk, as you mentioned. We think it's extremely important to be very, very focused on the cyber risk and to make sure that for the key function of the bank, we have zero tolerance for risk. But at the same time, having a flexibility to offer improved product to our clients and make sure that the security level is absolutely perfect in order to protect our clients. So we are extremely willing to develop, have more technology, develop more our product for the benefit of our client and be very, very focused on, on the cyber risk at the same time. And what kind of conversations are you having about cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin, the potential for even the technology that drives it, like, like blockchain, for example? Nick, blockchain is very interesting uh, setup for a lot of activities we have, not for the high frequency uh, trading or, or settlement activities, because there's a limitation in terms of the number of transactions done per second, but extremely interesting for transactions where you have uh, to, to check the availability and ownership of a specific asset. It's true for trade finance, it's true for property transaction, and we are present in a, a one consortium with different banks in mm -hmm. order to develop trade finance using blockchain. For cryptocurrencies, I will have a, a, a more uh, uh, nuanced view, as I think today uh, it is important to follow what our regulators allow us to do. And I don't want to be engaged in cryptocurrency for Unicredit uh, for, uh, in fact, compliance reason. And it seems at the moment it's quite risky. Um, the market seems to be fragmenting a little bit and there is no regulator overseeing it. But do you think by there being a consortium, for example, yourself and other institutions getting together and, and trying to cherry pick what works and what doesn't work, it, would that help the regulators to find a balance as well about what needs to be regulated and what just needs to be banned outright? I think, you know, clearly for the use of blockchain, which is the underlying technology which has been used for cryptocurrency, it is extremely important that all the banks work on that because it will make the system much more efficient. And we do that in full agreement with the regulator. For cryptocurrency, I would say that uh, we should be extremely careful and only do what the regulator will allow us to do because clearly it's a gate open for transactions which might not be adequate and we don't want to do that. I think, was it Jamie Dimon who said he'd sack any trader he caught dealing in Bitcoin. We never comment about what other banks no, are, are sure, doing. No, sure, but yeah. the, the idea being that it seems that uh, the, the sort of big institutions, the traditional institutions, are very wary of you know, these kind of uh, financial instruments, essentially what have become financial instruments. They've been created, in, not in a vacuum, but by um, a, a group. It's not transparent. It's not clear exactly who, who has created it, yet it's available for, for people to buy and sell. And that seems to me the, the, the classic definition of a bubble almost or of a, some kind of dangerous uh, situation where asset prices are inflated without any fundamentals backing it up. I think in your question, you gave the answer. So uh, I fully agree with you. It a, is dangerous. A, a straight, you're, you're giving a straight bat, but I'm sure that behind closed doors, the conversations, I won't ask for the color or, or whatever, but I'm sure everyone voices their opinions pretty strongly, I would assume. 
You know many things. Yes, absolutely. I think it's, uh, you know, you mentioned that, you know, uh, cryptocurrencies are not transparent. You don't know who are the owners. You don't know uh, to whom they benefit. Clearly, this is completely against the rules set by the regulators. And at Unicredit, we only follow the rules set by the regulators. So it's not for us. If I can uh, just ask you about your own personal experience. Um, I know you're the CEO of a big, big bank, the one of the biggest in Europe. Um, but you're also a Frenchman uh, running an Italian institution and spending a lot of time in Italy as well. Uh, you know, some of our listeners, they, um, they have experience of working in different cultures and succeeding in different cultures. Um, have you found that, you know, some maybe not being necessarily 100% of a particular culture running that institution is helpful as an outsider coming in sometimes, particularly during a time when there needs to be big changes and turnarounds made? You know, Unicredit is a pan-European bank. We are headquartered in Italy, which represents roughly half of our business. But, you know, we are present in Germany, where we own the third largest bank. It's more or less 20% of our business. In Austria, we own the first bank. And the CE region, where we are the first bank as well. So we are really multicultural and a true representation of Europe. I think what is unbelievably uh, uh, interesting and exciting at Unicredit that we really represent Europe and we have this mix of views and culture, which are underlying of our, our client, and that brings a, a lot of value to everything we do. So I find that very interesting, and you know that's a, a very good way in order to develop the bank. It's fair to say that you know coming and not being seen as being part of uh, either you know uh, countries allows me to be seen completely independent and to help promote all the culture within the bank. And you've had to make a lot of changes. You've had to convince internally and externally shareholders as well of the right path that you guys need to take. Is that, does that continue to be an ongoing process? You say dealing with different markets and different cultures as well. Is, do you think you're working harder than perhaps, say, a North American institution just talking to North American shareholders and North American employees? Well, first of all, you know, promoting Unicredit is a very easy task because Unicredit is a very, very good bank and it is recognized by all our shareholders. Clearly, we have shareholders which are very international, you know, from Abu Dhabi to the US to the UK and to Asia, and we need to make sure that we maintain the contact with them. But no, that's a part of what we do. We are very, very focused today about transforming the bank and working with our clients and with our team in order to progress. So last time we spoke, you were telling me about your mascot, uh, Elkan, who uh, was at your, one of your shareholder meetings, I think. And, yes. And he's well-traveled, and he is, uh, I can see him now, he's actually uh, a small moose. Is he a moose or an elk? It's an elk. He's it's an, an elk. elk. He's it's an, an elk. elk. And, you know, I'll describe it to, the, to, the, to those listening. Um, it's a small, small elk. She is a small elk, I believe. Is yes, that right? It's a she, she, it's a she, she, it's a she, yeah. She is Elkan is a small elk and she travels with you and she helped you persuade shareholders um, of your turnaround plans. Is that fair to say? It's a fair statement. Uh, Elkat is the mascot of the group and, um, you know, you can say, but why do we have a mascot? In fact, it's a both, um, you know, something which is interesting because we present to our team members internally a face of the management and of the bank, which is, you know, at Unicredit, we do things seriously, but we don't take ourselves seriously. And it's uh, for everybody part of the emotion of working with the bank as well. And it creates a very, very strong team spirit uh, within the bank and a recognition that, you know, we have something in common, which is culture, which is something 
something which unites us everywhere. And to give you two examples, yesterday I was uh, given a pin which was uh, made by uh, some of the teams in Eastern Europe which represent the mascot that people are wearing. And you know, a few weeks ago, I received a, a picture by mail of one of our cashier in, uh, uh, in Italy, in, in Puglia, who said, can I send you a picture? It's the picture of uh, Elket and she put a red scarf because red is the color of the bank. And she told me in, in her mail, she gave me the energy to deal with the client and to do even better. So our mascot today is really part of the bank and giving the energy and representing to everybody that we are one bank, one unique credit and we work together. That's wonderful. So it's important to have that, that softer side of things, to kind of acknowledge that everyone's a person and everyone has to deal with their own challenges. And, and you do that from the top and that filters down. It is very important that, you know, we are not only a bank which does things which are very serious, but that we have as well emotions, that we have a human side, because our clients are human beings, and we need to make sure we work with them. And the bank is a people's business. A people's business, it's important to find the motivation of everybody. And this motivation has various parts, a clear strategy, strong uh, financial position, very good ethics, very good example from the top, and the right dynamic and human dynamic. You talk about culture, it's important. Um, I did see there were reports um, that I don't know how serious these reports are about possible mergers with other institutions in Europe. Now, in the experience that from what I've seen, most mergers don't work. And the reason why most mergers don't work is culture. And so when you work very hard to establish a culture, you're working on a strategy, you're bringing in LCAT and everybody's on board and working. Do you, do you risk in general, I'm not asking you to comment specifically on these reports, but in general, do you risk that good work when a merge or a combination or an acquisition even or some kind of inorganic direction is considered? Well, first of all, our plan is purely organic. So, you know, our plan you know, to transform 2019 is focused about transforming the bank. So that's it. And that just says everything about what we are focusing on for the next uh, two years and a half. But you're absolutely right to point out that, you know, culture is uh, something extremely important in the management of an institution any companies and clearly you know if there are non-organic development companies have to take culture you know into account in addition to financial uh, uh, indicators and 2019 we're not that far away actually um it's potentially round the corner i think and what happens is is that uh, it comes up upon us very very fast um these targets when we first start out it seems a long way away and then all of a sudden, we're actually not, not much more than 12 months away from, from, from then. And it looks like you're on course. But then what are the kind of, you know, I guess, known risks that potentially could upset that timeline at the moment? It is very important for us up to 2019, which is uh, still uh, many quarters away, to keep transforming the bank and working with all our team members about the change that uh, we have put in place. We are very well advanced into our plan, but you know, nevertheless, we need to keep the focus. And it's important that the focus not only with our team members in terms of transformation, but with our, our clients as well. And we have risks to manage, which are, you know, of course, uh, you know, managerial issues with all our team members, but also 
to credit risk. We are reducing the risk profile of the bank by selling non-performing loans. You know, in terms of new flow of credit as well, in terms of market risk, in terms of operational risk. So we need to remain extremely focused on the risk management. It's not because the environment seems to be better that uh, we need to, you know, step back and say yeah, and relax uh, our policies. At the same time, being very focused on the risk does not mean that we should not look for growth. And I think it's uh, this uh, balance uh, where we have to be slightly schizophrenic to a certain extent, you know, look for growth and development for our client and at the same time manage properly our risk, which is the most difficult balance to have. But that's when we know what to do and we have moving forward. And to, to what extent the, uh, the uncertainty around uh, the Brexit negotiations and, the, and the, you know, what they're calling now the bill, it's all the focus on how much the British will have to pay um, to leave. Um, how much does that affect your planning and your strategy and your, your outlook for your business? Uh, very little impact for us uh, and for our clients. As uh, uh, Brexit is for a very large part uh, a British issue and we have a very small presence uh, in the UK. So I think it's uh, much more the indirect consequences of Brexit, which uh, so far have pushed Europe to get together and actually to push for more Europe. So I would say you know, what, everything which is good for Europe is good for unique credit. So if Brexit creates a, a catalyst and a momentum for more Europe, I would turn it actually as a positive for us. And another positive development has been the banking sector in Italy itself seems to have been shored up with the bailout of two of the regional banks by the government. And it seems now that um, yourselves and Intesa seem to have a, a pretty decent competition now in Italy. While maybe 12 to 18 months ago, things didn't look quite as, as robust. Is that a fair assessment? The current government in Italy did an excellent job by bailing out uh, on one side Montepaschi on the other side the Veneto banks. As today, there is no more systemic risk on the banking sector in Italy, and it is very important. Very important for the country because all clients in Italy rely on bank financing. It's uh, uh, small and mid-sized companies and for which the banks are extremely important for the funding, for the trade finance, for the cash management. So strong banks in Italy are very good. It's more competition for us, but in fact, it's not more competition. It's a better support for the economy, which benefits us. So we are extremely happy about that. And with no more uh, systemic risk for the banking sector, it's actually very good as well for investors because the risk premium goes down and the market should go up. I was reading a couple of weeks ago that um, one of the big hedge funds, Bridgewater, I think it was, has made a big speculative position against Italian listed companies, including the banks. Is that something that's on your radar in terms of what the big hedge funds think? You know, we have a, a long-term view, not a short-term trading view. Nick, you know, we never comment about what others are doing and certainly not about the evolution of the market. But what I can say that we are extremely confident about Italy as a country. It did very good things in terms of reforms in the past for you know, employment, uh, for retirement, and which are you know, seen and very efficient today. It's a country which has excellent companies, small size, mid-size, and, and large companies. You know, Italy is a very strong economy, but you know, Italy, for instance, is the second largest engineering uh, economy in Europe and the seventh in the world. You know, so there are extraordinary and outstanding people and companies in Italy. For the long and medium term, Italy is a winner and all the Italian companies as well. So there's nothing that they know that you don't know, basically. 
is what you're saying. Or they, you know more than they do. There might be things I know they don't know. Right. And this is why I'm saying Italy is an excellent yeah. country with a wonderful companies, a wonderful population. And, and I'm sorry to keep circling back to this, but it, it just it, my simplistic view of the headlines of Europe. But what, what's going on in Spain, it doesn't worry you in terms of what's going on between the central government and, and the Catalan region. I mean, that doesn't have some kind of spillover again, sentiment, uncertainty, something that, that makes you reassess your planning. As we just uh, mentioned earlier, you know, we have to focus on the medium term. And on the medium term, I'm convinced we'll have more Europe, not less Europe, and that Europe will be successful. Continental Europe, uh, I mean, will be successful. So, of course, there are always reasons to worry short term. But medium term, if you have this vision and understanding that Europe will be successful, then you keep the line and you develop your strategy. Yes, certainly if, certainly if people are feeling that um, you know, Europe is the project is actually on much stronger footing than it was after the Brexit vote, in fact. And, and like you were saying earlier, it seems that it's, it's brought different people together. Um, and along with what the, the ECB has been doing and, and various aspects of, of monetary policy, um, uh, it, it's really surprising, given where we were you know, 12 to 18 months ago, that, that Europe might economically be the bright spot in terms of regions, especially when you know, there's uncertainty, uncertainty elsewhere. Europe is such a big trading partner for the Middle East and the Gulf, as you're pointing out, that your clients that you've been servicing will come here and do business, and there will be business going back and forth. Could, could everything be slightly overplayed in terms of the worries, in terms of the bearish mood? And I'll, I'll let you wrap with this, because I know you've got lots of other meetings. But um, do you think that we're going to be surprised on the upside this Definitely. time next year? Definitely. You know, there has been too many bearish views uh, about Europe in the past uh, two or three years. And if you followed all, the bear- followed all the bearish comments, you actually, as an investor, would have been losing a lot of money in terms of opportunity uh, of return. I think we need to be realistic about Europe. 27 countries today. It's not a, an easy thing to get consensus and to get things going, but it's happening. And it's happening because the concept of Europe is extremely important. It's creating a, a market which is a very large market, 510 million customers. And we can see that there is a very strong political move to push Europe forward. So that, I think, is a, an unbelievable opportunity for all European citizens, for European companies, and for all the trading partners of Europe, of which the GCC, the fifth largest one, so clearly, together, Europe and the GCC will be successful. Um, that, I'm, I'm glad we're ending on an optimistic view, but, but also you seem to have brought someone in to see me. Absolutely. I have a cousin of, of uh, Elket, uh, our mascot, which has a UAE flag, as we want to make sure that our mascot is clearly fully aligned with the strategy of the group. So I give you a cousin of Elket, which is uh, bringing good luck to everybody to Unicredit and to all our friends. Thank you. That, that means a lot. Jean-Pierre Moustier, CEO of Unicredit. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. More Business Extra in just a moment. But first, let me tell you about our other podcasts. Beyond the Headlines takes a view on the biggest news around the world with a Middle Eastern flavor. And Extra Time is the best place to hear about the English Premier League and other sporting events from our team here in Abu Dhabi. Subscribe to these shows and others on Apple Podcasts.
So I mentioned at the beginning of the program that we'll talk a little bit about leadership coaching and why it's important. The International Coach Federation, uh, not the vehicles, but actually people who help train talent and help you achieve the most that you can in your career and for your company, are uh, opening up or have opened up an Abu Dhabi chapter in the last year, extending from their presence already in the UAE. And Suhair Fakhouri came in, who's also a leadership coach, to talk about what the organization's doing here in the UAE with an event they're holding. Suhair... Lovely to have you with us. Thank you for having us, Mustafa. So you're a leadership coach. Yes. Executive coach. Executive and leadership coach. You're also the Abu Dhabi chapter head of the International Coach Federation. Yes, I'm on the board of directors for the UAE chapter and I'm leading the Abu Dhabi subchapter. So tell me a little bit about where executive and leadership coaching is at the moment. At the moment, uh, there is a great awareness now in this region, but yet still need more work. Like there are lots of organizations here. They they actually uh, wanting this within their organizations, but they don't have actually, I think, uh, in my opinion, the resources or where to go as a reference. And this is why actually we're bringing ourselves out, uh, showing up in the region as, as a, a governing uh, body for professional coaches and to provide this kind of reference for these organizations. So you've got an event in Abu Dhabi uh, this week, yes. which includes several organizations, uh, Etihad Airways, do representatives from, from these companies uh, to highlight the importance of what coaching can give an organization. And yes. this is why the International Fe Coach Federation is, is backing this event. Yes, actually, we're bringing a panel list of um, co uh, coaches from organizations, Etihad, as you mentioned, uh, Do, Aramex, and EY, Ernst & Young. Um, so be, basically, these uh, speakers will and coaches will be actually sharing uh, the experience of bringing a coaching culture within their organizations and to show the benefits of actually having um, as, uh, coaching within to increase talent and um, efficiency. So what are the benefits? I'm a business owner now and, and you're saying coaching. I say, oh, that mm -hmm. sounds nice. But really, you know, I've got to run a business. Why mm -hmm. am I bringing a coach in? It's about actually uh, creating the roadmap for um, to bring more efficient, actually, um, efficiency to the organization and bringing more talent to think out of the box and actually bring more uh, revenue uh, for the organization. It actually helps uh, clear the space and uh, create more of um, a, a, a greater level of communication as well between teams, organizations on a higher level. And this is this is because an external person comes in, looks at the organization, meets individuals, mm -hmm. and gives guidance or deal or deals with specific issues that management are asking for. How does it work exactly? Um, there are, there are many ways to do it. Of course, um, it can be on one on one kind of coaching, and also it can be on a team level as well. Um, uh, different organizations will have different approaches uh, to this, and this is what we were going to be discussing actually in the event tomorrow, where actually these coaches will uh, dis, uh, d describe the path um, they took and each will have a different uh, path uh, the way they implemented and brought this coaching culture within their organizations so this is uh, there's I believe no one right way uh, each will be using their way to, um, uh, to 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 reach where they want okay and if if we think about um, organizations and everyone wants efficiency now and everyone's saying okay if it's helping me 
in increase the effectiveness of my employees or my team or even my organization, great. But, you know, there must be some resistance at the moment to allocate budget towards it, right? I mean, that must be it must be a hard conversation to have mm. with your CFO or your finance director of give me the money for this, right? Yes, exactly. I think everyone wants to um, see, um, uh, to measure success, to actually touch that success. And uh, um, when we share those experiences from these organizations, actually, um, it will show um, um, how this success can be measured actually, and how um, uh, this can be efficient for the organization. Um, these organizations actually uh, won uh, the PRISM Award for ICF, which is a global uh, PRISM Award, where there is a way actually to, dis to discover actually how this is, um, can be measurable and uh, show the efficiency of uh, this coaching uh, in, within organizations. And based on that, they actually get um, recognized for for their outstanding um, uh, coaching program. And you, when you say organizations, these are organizations in the UAE you're talking about? Actu that have been yes, recognized. actually we had a Middle uh, East PRISM Awards ceremony back in May in Dubai. And uh, the, the companies, the orga these organizations that are on the panel list, uh, they either won the award or actually uh, won an honorable mention. So we, we've... Many of these companies have been recognized for their adopting the coaching culture and, and bringing it into the company. And, mm. you know, generally they, they, they've seen uh, a positive impact. But what would they say, and without putting words in their mouth, but so from what they've been telling you or you, what you've been hearing as a coach, what would be the main takeaways for these companies? Mm. I believe it's increased uh, efficiency and uh, more effective process in the organization and increased talent. Um, and impact within leadership, good, great leadership skills that uh, develops as well as a result and uh, great co greater communication as well um, um, level than before. So it's, it relates to the culture, I guess, is what you're saying, the corporate culture. This is all about strengthening the corporate culture, it, improving it, and, and how that relates to productivity. And understanding more uh, the behavior uh, kind of, uh, of on an organization um, from even within, even on a team level, individual level, executive level, leadership level. So it all becomes like one unit. It's like working together towards one goal. It's basically, I believe, my own belief is actually bringing alignment um, uh, to um, to the vision and mission and values of any organization for all the team and for all uh, uh, individuals working uh, in that organization towards that goal. Suhair Fakhouri, leadership coach, thanks so much for your time. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you for the national for having us. This has been The Business Extra. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show. Download this one and our other podcasts at Apple Podcasts or wherever you choose to listen to your other programming. Uh, join us again next week. I'm Mustafa Al-Rawi. Thanks to Kevin Jeffers and have a good week.